This morning we're starting a mini-series called Love and Hate. It's a two-part series, so I guess you know the two parts. They're in the title, right? We're talking about love and we're talking about hate. So as we get started, let's kind of do a quick survey. We're going to need your help here this morning. You're going to have to raise your hands, and I understand that's so embarrassing, but we need your vote. Um, I need to know who loves country music. I need to know who hates country music. Mm, I got some takers. Early, early, no, no, we didn't have any takers. Okay, I understand. I need to know if you love sushi. You love sushi. If you hate sushi, I guess you Oh, yes. So, you know, Arkansas County by far has voted down with sushi. Um, let's see. Um, I need to know if you love Pinterest. I see some double hands over here. Um, I need to know if you hate Pinterest. We got some haters. We got some haters. <laughs> and some waivers, too. Um, Okay, this one may cause some serious problems for us, but we're just going to throw it out there because that's who we are. I need to know if you love cats. Do we have any cat lovers here? We got some cats. I need to know if you hate cats. I, oh, I see, see how that happens? And then go ahead and let me know if you can't vote because your lunch depends on it. Yeah, got some of those too. That's me. Um, we're going to be talking in this series about what God loves and about what God hates because you are tied directly to what he loves and what he hates. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about hate next week. We'll leave hate for next week. We're going to talk about love today. We have been taught, though, you know, love equals good. Love is good. And we have taught that hate, hate is a bad thing, right? That's what we have been taught. Love is good. Hate is bad. You've been taught right that. Your parents taught you well. But for us, one of those two comes more naturally, right? Especially when you're driving. Huh? We got that one finger hate all day long, don't we? I mean, I don't. I, I mean, you probably do. You probably do. I don't know. Well, it's difficult for us to love consistently. It's just tough. Um, and maybe for you, even when you think of God and you think of yourself, maybe for you, you think of all of these things in your life, reasons why God should and maybe does hate you. Do you feel that way? Maybe you think about these things. For instance, maybe, maybe it sounds like this. This one's got me. Oh, my word. I eat so Man, I'm in this unhealthy diet, and I'm, I know that I'm eating myself into an early grave, and that must really disappoint God because I'm slowly killing myself. He's not a good reason to hate me because of the way I treat my body. Maybe you might say something like this. Maybe you might say, you know what, I've got this addiction. And you might say, I'm not sure it's an addiction, but I know something's going on there because when I start drinking, I can't stop until I pass out. And, and maybe surely God sees that and he's just shaking his head at me in disgust. Surely God is that way. And maybe you might say something like this. I, I, I've got a foul mouth. I have this habit of just like letting, just throwing up, vomiting all over people with my words. And surely God is just shaking his head in embarrassment at my lack of self-control. Surely he must 
Maybe you think something like this, I, I, I misuse prescription drugs, or I, I even use prescription drugs without a prescription, and maybe at best, maybe I just, I, I take more than I'm supposed to, and, and I can't go the day without them, without taking more than I'm supposed to take, and God must hate me because something has control over me and I can't stop it. Maybe you're thinking this, that there is so much to hate in my life. How in the world can God love me because there is so much to hate? No wonder you and I, no wonder we don't feel love. We're going to look and see what God's Word has to say about this, okay? We're going to be in a book called 1 John. We don't go there a lot because it's a tiny little book. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to be in 1st John. Same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. And you're like, wait a minute, Harley. Wait a minute. I thought this was about me. You're telling me i got to love those ding-dongs out there? Well, let's go on. He says, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Now, let me give you kind of a parenthetical thought here for just a moment. Because John is not saying that everyone you pass by today in Stuttgart or, or, or as you're driving around or everyone you pass by who is loving, he's not saying that person knows God. Because John wrote this letter to people who were already believers. Already Christ, mosquito got him, already Christ, I, I don't randomly clap, um, usually, every once in a while, but that was definitely a mosquito. Um, John is addressing this book to people who are already Christ followers. So he's not making this address, making a statement saying about anyone who loves, he's saying you are calling yourself a Christ follower. If you love, then you really, you're, you're doing a good job following Christ. You are following him if you are loving. You say that you're a Christ follower and you're, you love the people around you. He's saying, good job. You're revealing that you really are a Christ follower. For anyone who comes from God, anyone who uh, loves is a child of God and knows God. Verse 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Now again, he's not talking about just anybody out there. He's talking to people to you if you're a Christ follower. Now, if you're not a Christ follower today, you are off the hook. You don't have to love anybody. <laughs> I mean, some of you are rethinking it now, maybe. No. It, I, but you are off the hook. He is talking to Christ followers. And he says, if you're not loving the people around you, something's wrong. He said, if you are not exuding love, something is awry. Something is missing. Something's not right. He's saying you really don't know a lot about God after all if you're not loving the people around you. That's what he's saying. And then he gives us the reason. Look at this, these, these four words. He says, for God is love. God is love. I, I love that statement that God is love. Here's the deal. In the United States, this includes me, I am part, part of the United States, if not a large part, but at least part. I have a tendency, and you probably do too, to reverse this. 
instead of saying, for God is love, it's more normal for us to say, for me, love is God. Here's what I mean by that. We have this tendency to pursue being loved. To pursue someone, please love me. And by someone, we're not talking about God. I want that person to love me and that person. Please, someone, love me. And we pursue that above all things, it seems like. And so the pursuit of love becomes our God. That happens to many of us. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek. Although this guy writing it was a Jew, he was Hebrew, he was raised speaking Greek. It just was the, it was the language of the times. And so they wrote the New Testament in Greek. That was the language. Even though they are Hebrew, okay? Now, in the Greek language, there are many, many, many words that mean the word love. For us, in our language, we have one word, love. But for them, they had many words. One of those words is called phileo. And that word means, uh, it's kind of like a love that a father would have for a son. A, a love that a mother would have for a daughter. A love that you would have for a friend, like best friend type of love. That's what phileo It's a good kind of love. It's kind of love that kind of gives us some warm fuzzies. Not a romantic love at all. Just some warm fuzzies. You feel love. You know? Um, it's, it's kind of a... A, a committed type love, a, a friendship commitment, you know. And phileo love is a, is a good love. And you can see a phileo-style love in many of our lives by just reading our Facebook news feeds. You can see that. And you can also see, for many of us, that that type of love does compel us. And you can see easily see how that could become, for us, that love is our God. There's another type of love. There's another word for love. Uh, the, the word is eros. Um, and that love is kind of a passion type love. Definitely a romance, romantic love. And just to, just to calm you, the, the New Testament does not use that word at all. Not, not, not even once. But it is a Greek word for love. And again, it's that passionate, romantic love and when you're experiencing that you do feel loved don't you You feel loved and it's really a, a love that's designed for a husband and a wife and 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 it's it's a love you feel love and but i will tell you this there's an entire book in the old testament that is all about that i'm not going to tell you where it is because then you'll spend the rest of our time together reading it and snickering and giggling and i just don't have time for that you can look that up later. But it's in there. So I'm not even saying, I'm not saying that is a bad kind of love. God has created that to be in your marriage. And he, that's how he designed it. But again, you can look at our news feeds and Facebook and Instagram. And you can see our hunger and our thirst to feel loved. And it would be easy to see how love could become our God. But these aren't the kind, there's other words for love. We don't have time to go over them all. But these, these are not the kinds of love that John is talking about here. What John is talking about here, and the word he used is agapeo. 
Agapeo is a whole different kind of love. This is what he's saying when he said, God is love. God is agapeo. You know what kind of love this is? It is a pure love of will and choice. In other words, God is just choosing to love. He's making a choice. In spite of the fact that there are tons of reasons that God should hate me, He's making a choice to love me instead. Which blows my mind. I could give you a list, page after page after page, of why God should hate part of God has chosen, made a choice of His will to love See, this is not an emotional feeling, this kind of love. An emotional feeling that says, oh, I feel in love. No, God is just making a choice to love. And it's a choice that then, this choice to love, that leads to fantastic action, amazing decisions. Love is not what God does. Love is who God is. And then that leads to what God does. So let's get to verse 9. And God showed, so here it comes, He's showing us. This love that's a choice leads to some kind of amazing, fantastic display. Here it is. God showed how much He loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. God said, I love you so much. I choose to love you so much that I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. That's what He did. So that leads me then to this question that's going to guide us for the morning. If God is love, and if God proved it this way, as he said he did, then why is it so hard for us to feel God's love? If you're like me, perhaps... Just maybe it's because we don't really understand this kind of love that God is talking about, this agape of love, this love as a point. Maybe we just don't understand it because for me, I know I am stuck with my personal experience with love. I am not the love doctor. My experience with love has been something that has been based upon feeling has been based upon emotion. And anything based upon feelings and emotions means it is going to be temporary because feelings change and emotions rise and they fall. And it means really ultimately that my love that I have seen around me and, and that probably I have displayed and has been displayed towards me has ultimately been selfish. Because when it felt right, it was love, but if it didn't feel, feel right any longer, then it was gone. So we possibly have never learned 
or experience love like God is talking about here. So no wonder we have trouble feeling loved by God because all we have seen in our lives for most of us, there are exceptions, but most of us, we have seen a love that is here today and gone. That's what we've experienced. I'm going to skip a verse. We'll be right back to it. Let's jump to verse 11. He says, Dear friends, since God loved us. Now, now notice here, when he says us, he doesn't give you any condition. It doesn't say God loved us if we will straighten up our lives and get everything in order and do everything the way God has said to do it first and get uh, be the perfect person as he has described it. Clean your life up and your mess up first. Then God will love us. No, nope, didn't say that. He gave us no condition. Why? Because he has chosen to love me and he's chosen to love you with all of our junk, just like we are. Wake up and smile, it's been a while. No conditions. Like a whole day since I so you Dear friends, me. since God away. loved us, no conditions. In this room, you brought some hurt. You brought some relationships that have been broken. You have brought some uh, feelings of being wounded by other people. You have brought some hurt. Some of you have brought some happiness. I'm sure somewhere we have some happiness. But many of us have brought pain and hurt into this room. And God said, I love you. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, how much? So much that he chose to die a painful, horrible, horrible death for us. That much. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, then he says, we surely ought to love each other. In other words, if God can love you so much that he will suffer and die for you, then surely, surely God, surely we can just get along, right? Surely. We can at least get along and love each other. If we are going to live the way Jesus lived, we're going to do that. If we're going to call ourselves Christ followers. Now again, this morning, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you are off the hook here. But if you are going to call yourself a Christ follower, We're going to have to live the way Jesus lived, which means we're going to have to love the way Jesus loved. And as we learn to love the people around us, just perhaps we will understand a bit more about God's love for us. Maybe we will feel a little bit more loved ourselves by God if we learn to love the way He learned. So, back to our question, though. If God is love, and if God really did prove it like He did, then why is it so hard for us to feel God's love for us? Well, maybe... 
maybe it's because we're just not seeking him. We're just not maybe open to that love. I believe that God's love pursues us, but it will not trespass. If we stiff-arm God, He's not going to cross the line. Not because He can't, but because He won't. He's waiting on us to open our lives to Him. So, perhaps He's waiting for that invitation from you. If you're not seeking after God, if you're not open to God, we're not going to feel his love. It's kind of like thinking that you can get married without ever dating or without ever trying to find somebody to marry. It's just not going to happen. You've got to open yourself to God. We don't have to ask the question, is he there? Because he's there. But he's waiting on you to invite him to be part of your life. But here's how we have a tendency to invite God. Listen to this. I do this. I, I can only imagine that I'm not alone in this. We say something like this. Jesus, oh Jesus, I am having a problem in my marriage. I know it's mostly her fault, but God, it's a problem. I'm having a problem in my marriage, and I want you to come in. And I want you to help us work on this and work this out. I don't want to get a divorce. I don't want to end it. But God, if something doesn't change quickly, if something doesn't happen, it's going to end and it's going to be bad. So God, I need you in this marriage. Please, I'm open to that. Come in and help. Make it work. Do something. I want you to come in. But, but God, please don't touch my finances. I mean, you know, don't hold me accountable to how I spend my money and what I do. I just want you to fix my marriage. So if you would come in, please put your hands in your pocket. Don't touch anything else. Just come in and fix my marriage. Don't mess with anything else, God. Or Jesus, Jesus, I need a better job. Will you please lead me to the open doors? Would you lead me to the right place? Because I need a better job. I'm not getting along with the other employees. It's not going right. I need more money. Jesus, I need a better job. I know you have a plan for me. If you would just show me the way, I will follow you. Just open the doors that need to be open. Close the doors that need to be closed. I will follow you. But Jesus, while you're in there, um, please don't bother my social life at all my parties my drinking my weekends because you know that's how i let off steam i drink till i pass out it helps me get ready for monday tuesday wednesday thursday so i can make it to friday again so please lead me to a new job but don't touch anything else while you're in there please put your hands in your pocket and don't touch anything else don't mess with anything else but jesus lead me to a better job jesus i need some help with my money I shared that link on Facebook that said a lot of money was coming my way. <laughs> yeah, a picture of a lot of money, and I need that to happen. Um, I keep running out of said money, and I need more. But Jesus, please, please don't expect me to follow your plan of tithing and being generous and giving and, and saving, because Jesus, frankly, I have too many bills for that. 
I just need you to give me more. Just come and fix my money problems, Jesus. But please put your hands in your pocket. Don't touch anything else. Just come and fix my money problems. Jesus. Oh, oh, Jesus. My kids, they're going crazy. They are out of control. Oh, Jesus, come and fix my kids before I kill them. Oh, Jesus. But listen, don't expect me to be here every weekend on Sundays because, frankly, it's tournament season. I just, Jesus, you understand, right? I figured you would. So please come in and fix my kids, but put your hands in your pocket and don't mess with anything else. It's breakable. <laughs> don't touch, Jesus. Just come and fix what I need you to fix. Just by chance, do you think that we're going to be set up to feel God's love? <laughs> if we're inviting God in, but we're giving him a list of conditions and ground rules and boundaries first. Jesus, you can come into my life. I will allow you the privilege of coming into my life. And straightening out some things, but I'm going to tell you what you can and can't touch. Can you imagine seeking God that way? Opening our life to God and saying, here are the rules. Follow the rules, you can come in, Jesus. But keep your hands in your pocket and only touch what I say you can touch. I'm just guessing but the king of the world, the universe, the creator king is not going to subject himself to my list. He's waiting on an open invitation. I believe that God's love wants to invade every area of our private lives. But we have to invite him in. So, back to our question. If God is love and he proved it, as I believe he did, why is it so difficult for us to feel God's love? And just maybe... Maybe it's because we feel so unworthy. We feel too bad. We feel too far gone. Maybe we're just too bad for God to love us. So let's go back to verse 10 now. The one we skipped. Here it is. John says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. All of those feelings of, of unworthiness and all that junk that we carry around, he says, I've paid for it on the cross. I have taken it away. But yet we still choose to feel or we just do. We feel insecure and we feel hurt and we feel shame and we feel unlovable and we feel guilt 
and then we feel guilty. We talked a couple of weeks ago how Adam and Eve experienced the very same thing. They took the fruit, they ate it, and immediately they felt shame. And then God's love pursued them, chased them into the garden. And the Bible says they looked, they were ashamed, and they did what? They ran and they hid. And we do the same thing, and God's love pursued them into the garden. And he said, who, who, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you were unlovable? Who told you that you were too far gone for God? Because, my friends, God has not said that about you. He didn't say it about me. He should have. He didn't. You know what God has said? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he said, For we, you and me, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us. God, the amazing creator artist, has created in you and in me a masterpiece. And he says, who told you that you were worthless? You are my masterpiece. Created new in Christ Jesus. Those who are Christ followers, you are God's masterpiece. Created new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things, the good things, going and loving the people around you, the good things that He has planned for you and me, us, long ago, before you were ever born, before you were ever created. He planned on you, coming to Him, being created new, and then going and loving the people around you. But you say, God, there is so much about me that is unlovable and that is just trash. He said, you're in Christ, then you're my masterpiece. Now, I'm a little artsy-fartsy. I know, it's a shock. But I am no artist. I just dress like one. I just play one on TV. I, I'm an imperfect artist, just a wannabe. I, I'm getting ready to show you a painting. It's horrible. I know this in advance. It's not going to mean anything to you. It's not going to mean a thing. Because frankly, it's a mess. You're going to look at it and you're going to say, Harley, I don't get it. You're going to look at your neighbor and say, I don't know why H even wants to keep this thing. I understand that. But it's meaningful to me. So here's the story, as best I can tell you. So one Christmas Eve, not too many years ago, just a few, I was in a big old white house and I was alone. And on that Christmas Eve, I, I had no family that night. I had no children. 
realizing I probably, maybe, possibly never would. They weren't there. It was just me. And so just somehow I thought maybe, maybe I, if I painted a portrait, if I, maybe there would be some, I would feel some kind of connection with the kids that I longed to have in my life. And so I began to paint that Christmas Eve, and I painted for a long time out of deep emotion, out of loss, out of love for my children. I painted. I'm an imperfect artist, and, and when I got to a stopping place, I looked, and, and I, I just hated it. I had painted a portrait of my son, and I just hated it. So now feeling like even an extra loser, if I didn't feel like a loser enough already, there was something I created and I hated it. Next morning I got up and um, I studied it, I looked at it, I still hated it. I didn't like it. I was unhappy, I was distressed, dissatisfied. So I decided I'm just going to start over. So I took a paint scraper and I, it, it, with oil paints it takes months to dry. So I just scraped off all the paint that I could. Just scraped it all off. After I did, I, I looked at it again. And there in the painting, I could see this portrait of my son staring back at me through this haze, this fog. And I could see it. Mysteriously for me, it was so much better at that moment. At that moment, I, I loved it. At that moment, for me, I didn't feel alone. I, I loved it in that moment. So I just simply added a few more strokes. I didn't change the portrait at all. I just left it in that state and just added a few strokes of emotion and love. And that's how it stayed. I know it will mean nothing to you. I know that. I call it a 20 to 50 yard painting because that's how far away you need to be. Anyone in this area is going to extra hate it. You in the back, it's just going to be like, eh. up close, you're going to say, I don't see anything. It's a 20 to 50 yard painting. <laughs> you got to get way back. But to me, it meant everything in that moment. As I painted my son and he reemerged through the fog after I had scraped it all off, after I had realized that what I had created, I hated. The next day I started over. And suddenly his eyes emerged through the fog of paint. And began to warm my hurting heart. Now I, I realize it doesn't mean anything to you, but for me... For me, it was significant. For me, it was 
meaningful. It, it was important. And I think about our lives. Because unlike me, God is no imperfect artist. He is no imperfect creator. And right from the start, He created you a masterpiece. One of a kind masterpiece. And I know then we begin to live And the problem is not, as it was with me, is not the artist. The problem in our lives really becomes the canvas. Because we feel like I'm born in the wrong skin. I don't fit in this world. And as we live, the canvas gets messed up. The work gets messed up. And what God has created in your heart, in perfection, in your soul as magnificent, The hurt in our lives begins to scar the painting. But listen. Even though we become a scarred, messed up canvas. God does not wad us up and throw us away. God begins to scrape off, if you'll let him. To scrape off what he doesn't want to stay. If you'll let him. And he begins a lifelong process. If you let Jesus in. A lifelong process of creating you new. His masterpiece. And as he looks at your life. He doesn't see a mess. He sees a creation. Something he, the master artist, the master creator, has created and is creating new. In you. He's not going to throw you away. His great love. He made a choice to pursue you. He's offered you a new chance to be the master's piece. A masterpiece. And he redeemed you and bought you and purchased you on the cross. And he's not looking to make a difference in just one little area of your life that you will allow him in. He's not looking to rule over just a few sections that you will give him. He's looking for you to let him in everywhere, into everything in your life. Our bottom line says this, God's love wants to invade every area of our private lives. Invite him in. And this morning, I I hope that one of our next steps might encourage you to say, okay, God, okay. On the back of your connection card, 
If you take this step with us, if you'll circle the letter A, but let me tell you about this step first. This step says this, God, I do belong to you. I am a Christ follower. I am a believer. I have given you my life. But God, I have not allowed you access into all of me. God, please forgive me. Here I am. I am now open fully to you. And if you take this next step, would you circle the letter A with us? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. Would you read the book of 1 John? Not the Gospel of John, that's good too, but 1 John. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, read 1st. John, maybe the letter B might speak to you. It says this, if you circle B, here's what your heart is saying. God, I belong to you as well. I am a Christ follower as well. I have given you my life, but I have not been loving other people around me. I have instead loved myself more. God, please forgive me. Help me to choose to love and not simply love those who can do things for me. And I'm going to encourage you, if you mark that, see, if you say, that's my prayer, I just prayed it in my heart. I'm going to encourage you as well to read 1 John this week. But maybe the letter C is for you. Maybe you have held God off at a distance. And maybe you've been checking things out. You're open to checking it out. And that's awesome. And maybe you've been attending Stuttgart Harvest, just kind of dipping your toe in the water to see, uh, trying it out. Am I going to commit or not? And I commend you for continuing to check it out. That is why we're here, to help you do that. But maybe you are now saying, you know what, I... I I, I don't have all my questions answered. I don't understand it all, but, but I am ready. I am ready to jump in. I am ready to commit. And maybe this is your prayer, the letter C. Maybe your heart says this. And even as I read it, your heart can be saying it. You don't have to even say it out loud. But maybe this is your prayer. Let's see. It says, God, I have been waiting to surrender to you. I've kept you at a distance because I did still love my life, my way, more than you. But I can't hold back any longer. I'm asking you to take my life, be my boss. I am choosing to follow you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I, I am not worthy, but you loved me and died for me anyway. You did that because of your great love. And if that is you this morning, circle the letter C. For the first time, if you're saying, God, I'm making you my boss, giving you my life, you bought it on the cross. And if you mark the letter C, I'm going to ask you before you leave today, stop by the next step table right out here in the lobby. It's got all the resources on it. And pick up the, the, the handout, the paper handout that says next steps first steps. That's the one you need to pick up. So, I hope you'll take a next step with us. Because God has loved you and is loving you with a perfect love. And he's just waiting on you to say, God, come in. And I'm not giving you a list of rules. Just come in 
and let your love do what it's going to do in every area of my life for the rest of my life. Come in. As the band makes their way to the front, join me in a prayer. Let's bow our hearts. God, this weekend we celebrated the birth of a nation, independence of a people. And God, you have created our souls, and we need to be set free as well. God, we need a new life. We need a new birth, and it's something that only you can give. God, we need a new start, a second chance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for not throwing us away when we messed up your masterpiece. God, thank you for taking our lives and beginning again. God, for your word confirms to us, for those who have surrendered to you, you have said that we are your masterpiece, created new in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the good things you have planned for us to do so long ago. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.